You guys doing well? Happy New Year. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is our reboot teaching series. You guys need a reboot? I do. I do, certainly. And Restore to Original Settings, subtitle of this series. It's about a six-week series. We're going to talk about rebooting our lives spiritually here this morning, just as we need to reboot our computers to restore them to their original settings so that they will run more smoothly and successfully. As we head into this brand new year, 2016, I want to help you to reboot your life so that you are more successful uh, spiritually. Next week, we'll talk about emotionally, psychologically, financially, physically, sexually, relationally. And that's where we're headed with this uh, teaching series. Take a look at your sermon notes. They're on the uh, part of the intro. Here's the uh, theme verse for this uh, series. It's found in Psalm 80. It's found three places in Psalm 80. Chapter 80, verse 3, verse 7, and then verse 19. This is what it says. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And so with each one of those, those three times, it's growing with intensity. Now, what is this talking about here? How does this apply to the idea of uh, rebooting our lives, restoring our lives? The restoration of our lives is not just to believe in God in some general way, but it's to experience the joy of his presence. That's what it means when it says, let your face shine. So it means to experience the joy of his presence and then also to have our lives conform to his will. That's what it means when it says that we may be saved. Now listen to me, this is not out of duty that we conform our life to his will. It's out of beauty. It's out of his amazing beauty. Your heart's been captivated by who Jesus is and and what he's done for you. Now most of us, most of us Christians live um, in that gray area between duty and beauty. We tend to kind of just mechanically kind of go through the motions uh, many times and and that uh, complacency will inevitably lead to compromise in our life and then that compromise leads to some chaos into our lives and then we need to reboot our lives. You remember the uh, Braveheart series, Judges? Remember the downward cycle of the people? It's always started with complacency. Complacency about their, their relationship with God. Just kind of mechanically going through the motions. And so when we find ourselves there, it really creates some major problems in our lives. And uh, what's, as I stated, each of, these, each of these three prayers in Psalm 80 grow in intensity. Now, why is that? In fact, if, you, if when you look this verse up there in chapter 80, he says, Restore us, O God. That's the first one. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The second one, verse 7, he says, Restore us, O God of hosts, and then the third time, uh, verse 19, he says, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts, and let your face shine that we may be saved. Now, why is it growing in intensity? And as I was kind of reflecting on this, thinking about this, it grows in intensity because restoration is not a, a quick fix. All of these areas we're going to look at over the next six weeks, our lives spiritually, emotionally, Uh, financially, relationally, all these different areas, it takes some work. It's not a quick fix. 
And so there's this intensity in our lives. Restoration is not a quick fix, but involves a wrestling with God in prayer, as did Jacob, who said, I will not let go unless you bless me, Genesis 32, 26. And the blessing is that he would restore, we'd get out of the mechanical complacency, he'd restore the joy of our salvation, that he would become once again our exceeding joy, Psalm 43, 4. This is what you need more than anything. If you're going to make any kind of a resolution for 2016, your resolution should be to be so happy in God that sin loses its appeal. That you would be so happy in God that there's no trial that could overwhelm you or temptation that could overtake you. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about uh, rebooting spiritually, is that you'd find such deep delight that he becomes your exceeding joy, Psalm 43, 4. And so that's kind of where we're headed. You can see on the notes, we're going to look at three attitudes that will weaken you spiritually, and then five disciplines that will strengthen you spiritually. And so before we do that, before we unpack uh, these notes, take a look at this text, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father God, we, we just love spending time with you. We love uh, these songs that we sang. We were amazing that we could just connect with you through song. And now we want to connect with you through scripture. And so as we embark upon a new year, a new teaching series, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. May we know the fullness of, of joy of your presence in 2016 unlike ever before. And may our lives be more and more conformed to your will, to your will spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically, sexually, relationally. Not out of duty, but out of a deep sense of your breathtaking beauty for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let's take a look at this text. So 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. This is kind of the uh, springboard for what we're going to talk about. This is the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So what is he talking about here? Actually, the Greeks enjoyed two big events, the Olympics, and there was another games. It was called the Isthmian Kind of hard to say, but Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were held in Corinth. That's the, who this letter is written to, the church in Corinth. And so they would really understand this whole idea and the parallel that he's making, this metaphor that he's making with the, the games and athleticism. And so he's saying, hey, they all run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you get the prize. And then he goes on to c- explain what he means by that. In other words, live the Christian life to, to get the prize. And then as he explains it, verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So when you look at these Olympic athletes, what do they do? I mean, they have self-control in every area of their life, their sleep, their diet, their exercise. It's pretty stringent. You know, it's pretty, pretty tight, pretty tough. And he's saying they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we do it because we receive what kind of a wreath? It's imperishable. It's imperishable. What we receive is eternal. It's infinite. It's way beyond 
It's way beyond winning a gold medal or having a Super Bowl ring or anything else that you could attain or acquire or accomplish in this world. That it's, it's transitory. Those things are temporal. But what we're pursuing is, is that which is eternal. That's what he's saying here. So even more so, well, we want to be disciplined in our life. So this is why he says that in 27. He says, but I discipline my body, body meaning all of my life, and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And uh, what he's saying here is that I'm practicing what I preach. I don't know how often I've heard parents actually tell their kids one thing and then do another. Or I've seen leaders do the same thing. And here's the danger of, as parents and also as leaders and as teachers of God's word, is there's a complacency that can, can begin to take place. Familiarity breeds complacency. And so you don't listen to your own counsel. You're giving counsel to everybody else, but you fail to do the same. And I've seen actually counselors, I've seen pastors crash and burn in their lives, and they're giving people really great counsel. They're just not listening to their own counsel. And so this is what he's saying. I'm listening to my own counsel, and I know I'm first in line right here in listening to my own preaching. I desperately need to hear what I'm about to tell you here this morning. And so that's what he's saying, because I don't want to be disqualified. As I'm helping others, I don't want to be disqualified in this whole process. I'm going to give it my best. This is God's word to us this morning. Now, let's start here, first of all, three attitudes that will weaken you spiritually. I mentioned our Braveheart teaching series when we went through this last summer, Judges. Pretty intense series. And uh, I want to talk about one of the judges, his name is Samson, I think he gives us some really great lessons, so we're kind of, you don't need to turn there, but we're going to refer back to that as it relates to these three attitudes that weaken our faith, because Samson was a very talented, gifted man who squandered his potential because of his lack of character. Now, everybody look up here, you got to get this, I want you to understand this. Do you have any idea what kind of potential power and privileges you have through Jesus Christ? Those of you that have put your faith in Christ, you're walking with him, you're wanting to grow in your relationship with him, you have amazing potential, amazing privilege, amazing power. I don't want you to squander that. I want you to to be successful in your life in every area of your life. And so there's some things that we need to learn and we can learn from Samson because he crashed and burned big time in that story. And so one of the things that we see in his life is uh, impulsiveness. That's the first fill in the blank on your notes. So three attitudes that will weaken you spiritually in 2016 is impulsiveness. Judges 14 makes that very clear. Remember the story? Samson went down to Timnah, saw one of the daughters of the Philistines and said to his parents, I want her. And his parents said, she's not a believer. Samson said, I don't care. She's hot. (laughs) And remember what I said, what his parents should have said, but they didn't? They should have said, she might be hot, but so is hell, son. So is hell. They should have responded and kind of stood in the way, but they went ahead and got her for him. And, and so we see this, this idea of impulsiveness. And uh, here's the point, next point on your notes. To be strong, I must be faith rather than feeling driven. I've got to be faith rather than feeling driven. Also take a look at that verse that kind of helps us to understand that. It's right under, under that point in your notes. 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, there's the faith, So we want to be obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions. There's the feelings. The passions. Notice how he describes them. Passions of your former ignorance. He's just saying, man, that's really a stupid way to live. You don't want to go back there. 
This is a much better way to live when you live by faith. You have this relationship with God. And he begins to establish the standards for our life. By the way, we can be impulsive physically, emotionally, um, spiritually, and, and really all of, you know, sexually, financially. We can be impulsive in any of those areas of our life. And that's, uh, that, that will weaken us spiritually uh, when we are impulsive. And, and when we talk about this, doesn't this sound familiar, this idea of impulsiveness? I mean, don't we live in a culture that says, hey, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. That's called impulsiveness. That's a dumb way to live. But that's our culture. We celebrate that in our culture. Follow your heart. Do what pleases you. And the Bible says that's about feelings. It's not a good way to live. It's not a good standard. I, I did a teaching last weekend. I would encourage you to download it, listen to it. You can go online, get, get our uh, DB app. But it was called A Daring Faith for 2016. And I talked about in, from Numbers chapters 13 and 14 how they sent the 12 spies in for a reconnaissance mission. And 10 came back with a fearful report. It was a based on impulsiveness, and two came back with a report of faith. And, uh, and here's the sad thing about it. It was a whole generation wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and, and never made it into the land flowing with milk and honey. And I don't want that to happen to you. Impulsiveness will keep you out of the land of, of flowing with milk and honey, the fullness of life that Christ has for us. And, uh, and that's why it's important that we understand understand this. See, the standard for our life isn't our feelings, but God's word. And in fact, Jesus said that when you do that, then you storm-proof your life. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, if you hear my words and obey them, you're like the man who built his house upon what? The rock. And when the storms rage, he didn't say if the storms rage, he said the storms are going to rage. Storms are coming. If you haven't already experienced them, you're going to experience storms. And he says, the people that are going to be still standing are those that not only hear my words, but they obey them. That becomes the standard of their life. And so that's how we work through impulsiveness. And then there's resentfulness. That, we also saw that in, in Judges with Samson. Judges 15, Samson blows a head gasket, takes off when he loses a bet because his fiance tells his wedding party the secret of his riddle. Anybody remember that part of the story? Pretty interesting. And so he takes off, and when he finally comes back, his, his father-in-law-to-be has given his fiancée away to another man. Pretty crazy story. And then Samson goes even more homicidal after that. And here's your point on your notes. To be strong, I must let go of past hurts and embrace God's grace. So if I'm going to be strong in 2016, I need to let go of past hurts and embrace God's grace. Hebrews 12, 15, it's there on your notes. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. The grace of God is, is God's favor in our life. It's the most amazing thing that you could ever encounter, ever know, ever experience in your life. And he says, I don't want you to miss God's grace. Well, how, how's that? How can we miss it? Through a root of bitterness, that no root of bitterness would spring up. Now, bitterness comes as a result of the hits that we take, and then we have unforgiveness in our life. Everyone here has taken a hit in life. You've had somebody hurt you, offend you, abuse you in some way, and so how do you work through that? Well, you can't let a root of bitterness grow up in your life because it says here, when that begins to happen, it springs up, causes trouble, it causes trouble for you, and by it, many become defiled. You're going to defile everybody around you. 
How many of you have ever been around a really, really super bitter person and they, you don't even want to be around them. They just poison everybody. They poison relationships. They poison life. It's terrible. It's a terrible way to live. That's what he's saying. He said, you miss out on the grace of God. Augustine said, St. Augustine said, resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. C.S. Lewis put it this way, getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. So here's my question for you as we now are into 2016, is that what do you need to let go? What, what resentfulness do you need to let go of? What past hurts do you need to let go of? You don't need to be bringing that stuff into 2016. Now, I realize it takes a while to process that, that stuff and to grieve it. But at some point, you've got to say, hey, I've got to move on. This thing has, has drug me down long enough. You've got to begin to move on beyond that. That's what he's saying here. And, and embrace God's grace. To be strong, I must, go, I must let go of past hurts and embrace God's grace. Here's the third one, slothfulness. We saw that in Judges chapter 16. Samson had made a Nazarite vow, which was, a, was to live a very disciplined and godly life, but he was very lazy and careless. And here's the saddest thing about his story. still troubles me to this day when I think back about this, is that the saddest part of his story was, that, was the day when it says, and I quote, he did not know that the Lord had left him. Judges 16.20, now why would that happen? You could actually go to church week in and week out and not know that God's nowhere to be found in your life. You, you just kind of, why would that happen to him? Is because he was just mechanically going through the motions spiritually. It was all about duty and not about the beauty of his Savior. It was about ritual, not relationship. So why are you here this morning? Hopefully you're just not just, oh, got to go to church. That's what you do. Got to get back in church. It's the new year. Well, just don't use it as kind of, oh, it's a punch list of some sort. Or got to read my Bible. Punch list, you know. Check that off. Got to pray. Check that off. No, no. When was the last time you had that encounter with God? You had a sense of his presence on your heart that was overwhelming. You knew that he loved you, and because of that love, you could handle a lot of the, the hurts in this life, because if, if God loves you, you can handle a lot of stuff, a lot of things that come your way. I mean, it's just the way it is. And that's, that's part of that. I mean, and, and so here's the thing. To be strong, I must develop spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are not an end, as I was kind of referring to there. They're not an end, but a means to an end. They're, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you come to church, when you do these things, they're meant to encounter the living God, to know him, to experience him, to have delight in him, the joy of his presence, the joy of his presence. And then, and then you begin to align your life up with his will because that's a great way to live. It's the best way to live. You're in the sweet spot of, of the fullness of life, living in the, the, man, the land flowing with milk and honey. That's what he wants for us. That's what he has for us, fullness of life in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Most of the bondages that you and I have in our life is because of the silly myths that we believe about God and about our lives. You know the verse where it says in chapter, I think it's chapter 8 of John, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? And it sets you free. So to the degree I'm in bondage, to the degree that there's some 
crazy myth or lie that I'm believing and embracing that's bringing bondage to me, but to the degree that I experience the truth of God's word is to the degree, man, I experience a freedom unparalleled. That's why he's saying here, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Notice he says train and he doesn't say try to be godly. I mean, that'd be like trying to hike the Grand Canyon. If you all of a sudden decided, hey, me and my friends, we're going to take a trip. We're going to go down. We're going to hike down the Grand Canyon. I'm going to say, hey, we're going to be sending a helicopter after you, okay? Because you're not going to make it unless you've been training. You train. You train for godliness. You train for big events like that. But that's why he's saying. There's things that you need to be doing to build into your life so that uh, you can experience the fullness of life in Christ. And, and so he goes on, he says, for while bodily training is of some value, you say, hey, it's good to work out. We'll actually uh, spend some time here in a few weeks talking about our physical well-being and what we need to do and how to look at that. But physical training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Now, that takes us into this next section. So, so three attitudes that will weaken you spiritually is impulsiveness, resentfulness, and slothfulness, five disciplines that will strengthen you spiritually. Before I kind of head into this, many of you are familiar with this if you've taken the Game of Life class. And so I'm just going to give you just a small dose of, of what you get from the Game of Life class. And I go in more detail. And if you've not ever gone through the Game of Life, I would invite you to, to, to join up with this and go through that class. I teach that class. It's one of my favorite classes to teach. Eight-week class. Goes by pretty quick, but uh, you're just going to get a, just a small dose of that. And this is our, it's our 5G process to full devotion to Christ. What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? That's our goal, is to help, help you to become fully devoted followers of Christ. It means to be a genuine, growing, giving, going, all for God's glory. You can see the 5Gs right there. But this is what I, I've got to explain to you. This was revolutionary for me a number of years ago when I began to discover this and really understand this more clearly. That fullness of life and full devotion to Jesus Christ is one and the same pursuit. I thought that they were kind of like separate, separate things, but they're one and the same pursuit. If you pursue fullness of life, in other words, happiness and holiness are one and the same pursuit. And what I mean by happiness, I'm not talking about the circumstantial kind of happiness oftentimes as we define happiness based on our happenings. I'm talking Christ-centered happiness that can't be taken away by circumstances. Does that make sense? So I'm talking about this happiness and this holiness are one and the same pursuit. Fullness of life, happiness, and full devotion to Christ, holiness, happens simultaneously as we pursue one, we're pursuing the other. And I put this down on your notes. Uh, John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came you might have life, have it to the fullest. Luke 9, 23, he said, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta deny yourself, take up your cross. That's, that's the full devotion. Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord, how often? Always. Always. And then he goes, hey, let me say it again. He's just kind of really emphasizing that that's the happiness in God. And then uh, 1 Peter 1.15, it says, uh, it uh, tells us to be holy. So what's fascinating here, and this is, this, might cra- this is a little bit crazy, and when I understood this too, it was, it was kind of crazy for me to think about, but he commands us The Bible commands us not only to be holy, that makes sense to us, but also to be happy. He commands us to be holy and happy. I mean, it'd be like my wife commanding me to eat her cinnamon sweet rolls. 
You don't need to command me to do that. I'm in it, man. I'm wanting to do it. I'm all over it. Chase it with some coffee. Woohoo! But see, when you begin to understand holiness and happiness are one and the same pursuit, that's, that's a bit of the idea. Now, what's interesting about this is that I used to say this. I used to say, is God more, more concerned with our happiness or our holiness? And of course, most people would say, whoa, he's more concerned with our, with our holiness. And actually, that's not true. He's actually concerned with both because he knows that the pursuit of the one will bring the other. Does that make sense? But oftentimes when I would use that, I was talking about the happiness that is uh, temporal, that comes from the world. You know, the comfort kind of thing. But, but listen to what, I, I've, I've got about, a, I've got a, you know, I'm constantly reading a lot of books and I absolutely love reading. And I just picked up a couple new books here. Um, and one is uh, called Happiness by Randy Alcorn. Remember, he's the dude that wrote the book on heaven. It's about that thick. It's a big old thick volume. It's one of the best books written on heaven, I believe. Well, this is a phenomenal book on happiness. And he makes that point really clear at the front end of the book. And listen to what he says here. Uh, by the way, there's another book that I'm reading too. It's called Awe. It's by uh, Tripp, Paul David Tripp. And he ta- he's basically saying the same thing. This be- because we have awe in God. We try to find awe in creation, and it's ultimately disappointing, so we have to come back to the awe of God. Well, it's kind of similar to this, but listen to what Randy Alcorn says in his book, uh, Happiness. He says, when we seek holiness at the expense of happiness, or happiness at the expense of holiness, we lose both the joy of being holy, what's that, the joy of being holy, and the happiness birthed up by obedience. God commands holiness knowing that when we follow his plan, we'll be happy. He also commands happiness, which makes obeying him not only duty, but also pleasure. Now, now, everybody look up here. You can get back to your notes in a minute. If you think that you're going to be happier in this world, apart from God, you're delusional. And I hate to be so offensive, but, uh, but you're not thinking clearly. You're deceived. You've bought the lie that, I, that, that you're smarter than God, that somehow he's holding out on you. That's the lie that goes all the way back to the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Nothing, absolutely nothing will make you happier than to pursue holiness in God and to, and to live your life according to his plan. It goes back to, to our opening statement. He's, he's saying, hey, restore us. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face, joy of his presence, that we may be saved. Realign our lives with your will. Not duty, beauty. Woo! That's what I want for my life. That's, that's what we're talking about here. A.W. Tozer put it this way, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. I'm convinced of that. And if, and if you're not, it's because you're squandering somehow, maybe through impulsiveness or resentfulness or slothfulness, you're squandering your your privilege, your potential, the power that you have through Jesus Christ. 
And uh, it's, that's why we're rebooting. Now, let me, I could spend all morning, and I, I started typing out some verses as it relates to this idea of, uh, here's the bottom line, that what we're trying to do here at Desert Breeze, and I, I probably should have already said this, but we're trying to help uh, unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Christ. I kind of said that, but let me put it in a language maybe that you're not familiar with, and I make very clear in our game of life. We're trying to make hedonist into Christian hedonist. Huh? What's a hedonist? Pleasure is your God. What's a Christian hedonist? God is your pleasure. That God would become your deepest, greatest pleasure, your highest treasure. <laughs> that's, that's the essence of the Christian life. That's the essence of the Christian life. I've got proof here just from Scripture. This is just from the book of Psalms. Listen to some of these. As I was typing these out, I was overwhelmed with just a with a sense of gratitude, begin to just weep as I begin to read through these and just recite these and think about these and reflect on these. I won't take out time to read all of them. I've got 12 of them, and there's many more in Scripture. But if this doesn't spell out Christian hedonism, I don't know what does. God being my greatest pleasure. Psalm 4-7, he says this, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Isn't that sweet? What is he talking about here? I mean, let's, let's apply it to our day and time. I mean, I, I wrote these names down. Kardashians, I think the guy's name is Blake Sheldon. Shelton or whatever his name is. I don't know. Hugh Hefner, Bill Gates, Tom Brady, they don't understand what real joy is. We have it. That's what he's saying. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when they're green and wine abound. All the fortune and fame in the world does not compare to what he has, what we have in him. Here's Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. Want. Sounds like contentment to me. And he's not basing this on circumstances. There's a contentment that's just knowing... The God's in your life. Oh, here's one of my favorites. It's Psalm uh, 27.4. And now keep in mind, the context of this is David is running the full gamut of issues that are coming up against him. Whether I'm surrounded by 100,000 enemies or even if my own family abandons me, this is what he says. One thing I have asked. If I have this one thing, I'm, I'm good. What's the one thing? One, one thing that I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's talking about the joy of his presence, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to meditate on all the stuff that I have in him. I mean, the list goes on. Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we do see light. It's good stuff, man. This is like eating a sweet roll and chasing it with coffee. It's just like, oh, man, that's sweet. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4. Okay, I got to put that down. There's more on that. Oh, my goodness. So, I said all that is that we must take action 
to lay hold of both holiness and happiness in God. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, what we just said. Run to win. You're going to run to win? You're going to discipline yourself so that you can go after this? And here's some ways that you can do that. You don't grow stronger by accident, but by action. You don't grow stronger through complacency, but by commitment. In 2016, you will become what you are committed to. If you're committed to just sitting in front of the TV all the time, you'll be, you'll be really knowledgeable about all the TV programs and the latest episodes. Or if you're committed to not maybe working out physically or spiritually, you're going to be pretty, you know, slothful, pretty lazy in those areas. You will become what you are committed to. to. And whatever you give up to follow Christ, listen to me, is nothing compared to what you gain. It's nothing. If you give up watching TV or a number of other things and you begin to use that time to pursue Christ, let me tell you something, you're going to be glad you did. It will so enrich your life. So this list, this 5G list, we're going to knock it out here, is progressive with each G building on the previous one. The first one is a genuine Christian. These are commitments. A genuine Christian is committed to Christ and to a church family. I've got some verses here. And uh, they kind of help you to understand that so we can unpack these. This is about fellowship. It's about fellowship. It's about relationship with Christ. And uh, John 1, 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this is what's fascinating. We become children of God. We become children of God. We put our faith in Jesus. We become children of God. Christianity gives us an identity, a meaning in life that the worst suffering can't take away and the best success in this world can't give you. As I've said before, all the Super Bowl rings, you know, all the gold medals, all of that cannot give to you what we have in Jesus as his children. That's the point. So when you make a commitment to Christ, you have unbelievable inheritance through Christ. But also, there's a, there needs to be a commitment to a church family. Acts 2.42, you see the new believers in Acts, when they became Christ followers, they committed themselves to a local church family, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Now, I hear this a lot. Maybe you've heard people say this. I love Jesus, can't stand his church. I don't like I've gone to local churches and they've, you know, I've been eaten up and spit out and I've been offended, I've been hurt, so forget the church, but I love Jesus. When you say that, if you say you love Jesus but avoid the church, you're saying to Jesus, I love you but I can't stand your bride. If you said that to me, I wouldn't take it too kindly. I probably wouldn't want to hang out with you. In fact, I probably wouldn't, okay? Because I love my bride. But if you said, hey, I like you but I can't stand your, your wife. Because you see, if you really know Jesus, you're going to fall in love with his bride. Yeah, the bride's not perfect. Yeah, the bride has a mess, is a mess, but that's why we need the groom. That's why we need Jesus. And we all, so we all need that, and then that's what we see the early church do. By the way, when you make a commitment to Christ and to a church family, you make that public through water baptism. We do that a couple of times uh, every year. Maybe that might be your next step. Now, this answers the question, what will be the center of my life? Circle the word center there on your notes. So what's going to be the center of your life? I can tell you what is the center of your life. What dominates your solitude? What your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your attention is the true God of your heart. 
Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. And so it's quite frightening when you do that. If you take out enough time to really focus on what, where your thoughts go in your solitude, it begins to tell you what's most important to you. But what we're saying here is through this commitment, God, I want you to be at the center of my life. Number two, you want to become a growing Christian. So if you're a genuine Christian committed to Christ and to a church family, you want to become a growing Christian who's committed to personal and small group time with God. That's called discipleship. So the first one's fellowship. This is discipleship. Theological words. Bible words. Mark 1.35, and rising early in the morning, this is Jesus, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. What, what we see in the life of Christ is he would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. Let me ask you, how are you doing there? Do you, are you taking out time, just you and God, connecting with him? Do you withdraw to lonely places? Some of, some of you that have a house full of kids, oh my goodness, that's even more impossible, isn't it? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's hard. But uh, you gotta figure something out. Maybe have someone come in and watch your kids for a couple months so you can do that. <laughs> Praise God. I'm gonna take a sabbatical. How about I take that sabbatical uh, until they're in their teenage years ready to exit, okay? Yeah, okay. I mean, so it just, you're going to have to do something to, you know, trade off with your spouse. If you don't have a spouse, get somebody in the church to help you out. But you need that time alone with him. You also need to get involved in a small group. Why is that? Well, Hebrews 3, 12 through uh, 13 puts it this way. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Well, why would that happen? He's talking to believers, by the way. You mean to tell me that a believer can have an evil, unbelieving heart leading him to fall away from the living God? Yeah. That's what he's saying. Well, how do I prevent that? But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you have people in your life that keep you from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Being convinced that you're going to be happier out there away from God than with him and walking in union and communion with him. Who are the people in your life that are cheering you on? Who could I go to in your life that would tell me exactly what, you, what you've been experiencing the last couple of weeks and where you are spiritually? And that's, that's part of that. That's really important part of your, your growth. This answers the question, what will be the character of my life? Circle the word character there in your notes. What will be the character of my life? How do you know the character of your life? Well, how do you respond to crisis? How do you respond to long lines, traffic jams? You know, well, how do you deal with the issues of your life? Our capacity to experience the peace of God's presence, the joy of his innumerable promises, and the comfort of his love is like lifting weights or, or learning a new language or a skill. It gets stronger when exercised through personal and small group time with God. Here's the next one as a giving Christian. So you got a genuine Christian, growing Christian, now you got a giving Christian is committed to using their time, talent, and treasure. Treasure meaning finances to serve their church family. This is ministry. So you got fellowship, evangelism, ministry. First Peter 4.10 as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now we, uh, I don't know if you, you uh, received our email. If you're not on our email, I guess you didn't receive the email that I sent out, the letter that I sent out to our congregation. I also posted it on Facebook and posted it on my um, 
my wall on Facebook, but we have now been over two years of living, living the dream of having our own place, and we have experienced 40% growth since we have uh, been here. Pretty amazing. It's just, uh, yeah, praise God. That's, that's something worth praising God for. God is absolutely amazing. 2015 has been one of our strongest years numerically, financially, and spiritually in the history of Desert Breeze. As you heard Scott say earlier, this year is our 25th anniversary. And last year was our strongest year. And I can't help but think that the best is yet to come still for us. And, uh, and so, I mean, it's just, uh, we've never been healthier as a church family, and we cannot thank you enough, those of you and all of you who faithfully, generously, and joyfully give of your time and your talent and your, your finances so that we together can help hedonists become Christian hedonists, okay? I mean, so that we can help uh, unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're seeing, I mean, I have a front row seat. It's just, it's been absolutely amazing. The ride is just awesome. As I've watched just a lot, a lot of people come to Christ and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, if you want to help us out in that endeavor, and this might be your next step, is that there's an insert in the bulletin that shows you a lot of the different opportunities where you can get involved. And you can fill that out and send it in and, and let us know. Now, this, uh, this answers the question, what will be the contribution of my life? Circle the word contribution on your notes. What will be the contribution of my life? And I can kind of tell you where uh, the emphasis of your life is, is all I need to do is to look at where you spend your time and your money effortlessly. For me, it's always been books. And so it's kind of like, ah, there's my addiction. Oh, my wife makes sure that I know that. And... Uh, and I've got a few for her too, but uh, but I mean, all you got to do is look at where you spend your time uh, and money effortlessly. I, in a few weeks, I'm going to talk about our finances, and I'm going to share with you some some insights from God's word that you probably most probably haven't heard before, and they're really great insights on how to have successful finances. But really, I'm going to talk a lot about how uh, money has such a power on us in our culture today, whether we realize it or not, and how to break that power in our lives and how God, uh, what God's word has to say about how we can be more successful in that area. Number four, a going Christian, genuine, growing, giving. Notice they're all, they all build on each other. Going Christian is committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people throughout the world. This is evangelism, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is that saying? This is what it's saying. You cannot encounter the resurrected Jesus and remain the same. Your life's going to be different. As you walk in vital union and communion with him, you're going to want to tell the world about him. That's what it's saying. And he, he kind of talks about it in concentric circles. Jerusalem is our is our own city, and, and then Judea is kind of the, the greater region, maybe the state or the nation, and then Samaria is cross-cultural, and then the end of the earth is throughout the earth. And we've seen that. The, the growth here at Desert Reese has primarily come because many of you are excited about Christ and, and have been inviters and bringers of your family and friends. 
So I applaud that. I mean, that's fantastic. But, but let me just kind of go through a quick list of a lot of the things that I saw this last year that you guys did were really successfully, once again, you did a phenomenal job with our school supplies, our Thanksgiving boxes, our angel tree. It was unbelievable what you guys did as you stepped up. Paintathon, Phoenix Rescue Mission, Feeding the Homeless, Crisis Pregnancy, Mexico Missions, McDonald's. They're here. I think they're, I saw, saw them here somewhere. McDonald's. Right back there with Tala Kenya. They're doing a fabulous job. We're continuing to support them. That's why we drink so much coffee here because a lot of the coffee, you know, all the, the profits are going towards missions. And so keep drinking that coffee. Pretty successful there. I mean, but many of you are even giving over and above that to these mission efforts. Patrick's with crew and the list goes on. But, but your evangelism is not just through here, but it's also through your life, right where you live, where you live, work, and play is your mission field for evangelism. And this answers the question, what will be the communication of my life? Circle the word communication on your notes. What will be the communication of my life? So we are called not to simply communicate the gospel, but to demonstrate it and to celebrate it. So, so if I were to watch your life, you know, what do you get excited about? I'm going to certainly get really excited when uh, the Cardinals beat Seattle Seahawks this afternoon. Okay? So you, you guys are also going to be really excited too. And uh, hey, Darren Dirksen's a Seattle Seahawks fan. Oh. I, hope he doesn't be, I hope he doesn't leave the church over that. No, he won't do that. No. Any, any other Seattle Seahawks fans here in the house? Boy. You were really bold. to just like, whoa. Yeah, baby. Bring it on. I could... I could take all you guys. He probably can. Look at those arms on that guy. Dude. Okay. Where where were we? Okay, you guys got really excited about that, but do you really get excited about Jesus? Okay, yeah, even more so. So I kind of look at the excitement meter in my own life. Am I more excited about a game, which is kind of temporal, and even if they do get beat, whatever. But am I more excited about Jesus? I mean, do I have an excitement about him that just transcends all of that junk? I mean, hey, there's, there's no doubt about it. And do, do I celebrate the gospel in front of others? See, being public about your faith simply means not hiding the source of, of, the, of the greatest strength and satisfaction of your life. It's just sharing that. It's sharing that with others. And listen... Once you've tasted of the life-liberating, soul-satisfying presence of God, you can't help but want everyone that you care about to know it also. And if you don't, what you have isn't very potent. It could be you're squandering what you have through impulsiveness, resentfulness, and slothfulness. You need a reboot. You need to get a glimpse of the beauty that we have through Jesus Christ. And uh, here's the last one. Glorifying Christian is committed to showing that Christ is. That was supposed to be a fill in the blank. It didn't work out that way. I forgot to take those words out. Go ahead and circle those two words. More satisfying. The Christ is more satisfying than all that life can give or death can take away. That's called worship. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This answers the question, what will be the compelling cause of my life? 
I can tell what the compelling cause is of your life. Your emotional life is always a window into what has captured your heart. And uh, the glory of God, when we talk about the glory of God, the glory of God is his infinite importance. It's his supreme significance. It's his breathtaking beauty. And living for God's glory is not only to obey him unconditionally, but to delight in him supremely. And there's no greater beauty than to see the Son of God laying aside his glory and dying for us, as it tells us in uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And uh, once that gets a hold of you, you are never, ever, ever the same when you live in the reality of that. You want to live for his glory. Let me end a couple quotes from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The next quote is a little lengthier. It's, a, it's about a paragraph long, but it's from his uh, Weight of Glory sermon. This is what he says. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the, of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire too strong, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Did you catch that last metaphor that he's using there? He's like saying, you want to play in the mud when he's got a Caribbean cruise waiting for you? You want a dumpster dive when you can sit down at your favorite restaurant and enjoy a feast? He says, that doesn't make sense. Don't you understand what he has in store for us holiness happiness one in the same pursuit so what is your what is your next step what attitudes are weakening you spiritually impulsiveness resentfulness slothfulness what is your next step in full devotion to Christ some of you maybe for the first time this morning you just need to make a commitment to Christ some of you need to make a commitment to a local church family some of you have done that and you need to move to the next step which says, hey, I need to start having devotion and start spending time with God and maybe spend time with other Christians. What's your next step for 2016 and the full devotion to Christ? Next weekend, we're gonna talk about rebooting emotionally and psychologically. That ought to be a good one. Oh boy. How do you fix a broken heart? How do you work through the, the hurts and the hits that we take? What do you do when you don't desire God? What do you do when the darkness won't go away? That's what we're going to deal with next weekend. Let's pray. Father God, you are the fountain of life and love we have looked for in other places to our disappointment. To know you and be loved by you is life's most satisfying reality. You are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. So may 2016 be the year that we resolve to obtain as much happiness in you with all the power, might, and vigor that you supply and may our growing white-hot affection for you overcome our impulsiveness, resentfulness, and slothfulness as we take the next step to become more genuine, growing, giving, going, glorifying, fully devoted followers of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. In his beautiful name we pray. And everyone said... 
Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.